Oak Vista Pastures by Eric Del Carlo. First, nobody talked or knew about Oak Vista Pastures. Then, it was on people's lips and minds. The people fun was around. Her people, the off-gridders, living on the streets because they chose to. Coyote, he pronounced it in Prairie Cracker Manor. Coyote came around with derms. So Fun led him up into her little nest of a loft inside the derelict warehouse. This building and the surrounding structures were old, decaying, which made them perfect as squats. No Wi-Fi, no surveillance, not even electricity or running water. Still, Fun managed here. So did the other unofficial residents. She put down the rope and stood back to watch Coyote shinning his way up, bushy-haired head poking through the hole in her floor. She had a few dozen square feet of space up here, room enough for the foam block she'd made into a bed or for the fire pit she'd built out of chunks of concrete. The fire she fed wood and dried weeds, gave back light and heat, and even let her cook the things she hunted among the rows of abandoned structures. But you couldn't hunt derms, and she liked derms. So she would put up with Coyote as a guest for a little while. He pulled himself all the way up and gave her an eager, buck-toothed grin. As if presenting credentials, he took the slim packet out of his ratty jacket and showed her the two patches remaining. It stirred need in Fun, who, at age 17, regarded herself as fiercely independent capable of surviving in these urban wilds. Yet germs were the recreational narcotic du jour, and she'd let herself indulge, considering the drug an amusement, a well-earned reward for so bravely and boldly facing a life of privation and austerity, unlike all those normos who lived fat and content on the grid going mindlessly through the motions of the society that every day tightened its grip on its citizens. Rights disappeared. Privacy was becoming a concept lost to history. If you didn't do what you were told when you were told it, you faced the wrath of the state. Unless you were audacious enough to turn your back completely on the clockwork civilization and live free as a neo-primitive she was gazing rather rapturously at Coyote's packets of germs, she realized. She shook herself and told him to sit. Even off the grid, there were social niceties to observe. She had water boiling in a scrounged metaplastic pot on her fire. She poured some of it over a mix of thistle and wild berries she collected, and which tasted pretty close to tea. She handed Coyote a cup that started life as a soup can and raised one herself in a toast. You heard the latest about Oak Vista Pastures? Coyote asked after a first savoring sip. Fun managed not to roll her eyes. The recent campfire stories about this fabled Oak Vista Pastures were getting on her nerves. She'd been out here almost six months now and had observed the urban legends each more preposterous than the last, sweep through the loose-knit community. Humans like to pass on tidings, 
And since there were no media sources for news around here, people just made shit up. I haven't heard, she said, thinking of the derms Coyote had returned to the pocket of his jacket. Not that she was hooked on the stuff. Hell no. Why don't you tell me, she added, trying to keep the note of resignation out of her voice. Coyote, sitting cross-legged, grinned anew. Despite the street name she'd chosen for herself, fun wasn't fun. Not in the way Coyote probably would have liked best. Yet the puppyish mid-twenties guy kept coming around to see her. Mammoths disappeared, Coyote said gravely. Just gone. They say he got took to Oak Vista Pastures. Fun nodded, calling up Mammoth to memory. Heavyset Mel, thirties, bearded, lived in a coach in the old subway train graveyard about a mile away. These were the swaths of the city that had collapsed structurally and had been forsaken a decade ago. Fun had come from the suburban realms, the normo world. She had left her home and traveled here to make a self-reliant life for herself. Who says Mammoth went to Oak Vista? She asked, even though it was best just to leave these legends unquestioned. Coyote blinked. Everybody says. I mean, he's gone. People come to these wilds, and people also left them of their own volition, finding the conditions too harsh or missing the beguiling accoutrements of pre-programmed society. Fun was growing impatient for the derms. She knocked back her tea, but she couldn't resist puncturing Coyote's news just a little more. Did anyone see Mamma taken away to Oak Vista Pastures? Coyote gave her a look like she'd just spoken sacrilege. Jesus, nobody ever sees. They just come and take you. There's nothing you can do about it. Fun shrugged, an insolent shift of her bony shoulders. Well, why worry about it then? Why? Coyote was flabbergasted. Because of what they do to you at Oak Vista. There's evil doctors there, mad scientists. They're collecting us and doing stuff to us there. Crazy experiments. Making mutants and monsters. You want to end up like that? No, I don't want to end up like that. She stated this in dull monotone. Coyote seemed to sense she was annoyed. He looked confused. Not a bright boy, was Fun's estimation of him. It might be he would have been living on the streets no matter what. One of those types who naturally fell through the cracks of any society without the intellectual wherewithal to save himself. Fun at least had gotten an education and developed her mind before lighting out from the suburbs. If anything, she'd learned too much. More than enough to see through the societal veil, to recognize the rigged counterfeit system for what it was. She decided Coyote looked too forlorn. She took pity. What can you do to keep yourself from being taken away to Oak Vista? She asked with, she hoped, convincing sincerity. It brightened Coyote up immediately. Watch out for gaps. Gaps? In your memory, like 
you'll be missing an hour or two. That's them making like a preliminary test on you, seeing if you're right to take to the hospital place to, to Oak Vista Pastures. Also, you'll know if you've been tested by the marks. Marks? Somberly, Coyote pushed up a sleeve of his shabby jacket. He turned the inside of his forearm toward her. See? Red marks like that. They tested me, then made me forget it happened. I can't remember part of the day three days ago. He stated this as solemn, unimpeachable evidence. The marks looked like a patch of generic rash. Living in unhygienic conditions produced such skin discolorations. Bethun said nothing. Like Coyote enjoy his fable. As for missing part of the day three days ago, she imagined she could convince herself of similar unaccounted-for time, especially if her mindset was already geared toward a paranoid expectation of a gap. Imperceptibly, she shook her head. Coyote, and many like him, weren't engaged in noble pursuit out here. They weren't proving, to themselves or to the autocratic state at large, that people could exist without strictures, without laws and policies and punishments and rewards, without all of society's dishonest trappings. Fun said, I hope they don't come and take you away. She managed the statement without collapsing into giggles. Whatever else, Coyote didn't deserve to be treated cruelly. Thanks, Fun, he said, obviously touched by her concern. He rolled down his sleeve, then his eyes brightened. He reached inside his jacket again. Hey, I almost forgot about the derms. You still want to do them? It was Fun's turn to grin, avariciously. She wanted to feel the drugs high. She peeled one of the circular decals off its plastic backing and pasted it to her throat, right atop the carotid, where the dermal transmission would be strongest and quickest. Letting out a luxuriant sigh, she lay back. This might be one of the rare times when she allowed Coyote a few liberties with her body. She suddenly felt generous. There were no laws out here, no judgments, no parents to press the state-sanctioned version of morality on her. She could do as she liked. And at the moment, oddly enough, it seemed she liked Coyote, despite, or maybe because of, his ingenuous faith in the existence of mad scientists, secret laboratories, and monsters. When she didn't see him again for a full week after that, and as she was starting to get antsy for more derm, she asked around about him and was told he'd been snatched away to Oak Vista Pastures. Neo-primitivism as a way of life lent itself to introspection, contemplation, even asceticism. Without the glittering distractions of normal society, one had time to look inward and outward at leisure and at length. But, Fun silently admitted, it could also be boring. And just lately she felt a restlessness she'd not experienced during these six months of her noble pursuit. So she set out to learn what she could regarding the crazy folktale of Oak Vista Pastures. 
It became obvious quite quickly that it was more of an idea than a place. Oak Vista was a paranoid stream, nebulous and menacing, nearly all-powerful, an institutionalized conspiracy. The concept of a medical facility beholden to no ethics or restraints must have had appeal to those mentally ill who lived in these urban ruins. Nothing could be so satisfying as having one's deepest, most petrifying suspicions corroborated by an entire community. But one fact remained. Coyote was gone. And he stayed gone. Bun found other sources for derms. Cheap drugs, historically, were easy to find on the streets. But the tales of testings, abductions, and horrible experiments persisted. Oak Vista Pastures, it seemed, was a permanent part of urban lore now. Those who circulated the stories took their validity for granted. A shadowy agency with high-level government backing was doing as it pleased with the cast-off inhabitants of an abandoned city sectors. By now, most everybody fun talked to had a patch of rash to show or made claim to a recent memory gap. These victims were fatalistically certain of their inevitable fates. Eventually, no matter how cautious or vigilant, they would find themselves whisked away to Oak Vista pastures. Though intellectually, Fun gave these stories no more credibility than before. She also determined in her fiercely independent, vastly stubborn way that she would not fall victim to this treachery. Fun's post-adolescent body was wiry, and spry. Six months of life in the urban wilderness had toughened her hide and burned away any trace of youthful softness. Before departing her suburban home, she had shaved her head in a final defiant act of commitment. Her thick dark hair had come back in as a spiky halo. She looked tough and knew it. She felt dangerous, even. Like something feral. It was a far cry from the whiny, idealistic girl she had been in her tweens and early teens. Back then, she had loudly bemoaned the suffocations of society as she perceived them. She'd written naive poetry and called everyone a phony who didn't see things her way. She was still convinced of her basic principles. The state was a malevolent entity. Freedoms were being categorically curtailed. Even the outspoken views she had expressed as far back as grade school would be suppressed now. She would have received a visit from government agents who would have asked where she'd heard such subversive nonsense, and her parents would have been presented with a stiff fine. It had happened slowly. Each step toward the new authoritarian paradigm introduced, established, and then left to stand until people grew accustomed until it no longer seemed like a fundamental infringement on basic rights. She had gone off-grid just in time, it seemed. She started awake on her foam blocks. Sunlight fell through the cracks in the ceiling above her little loft. It was midday. She had dozed. She must have. Blinking, she saw her metaplastic pot sitting atop black ashes. Her fire had gone out. She had been making tea. The pot was empty of water. It must have boiled off. That was a waste. 
Like everyone else, she collected rainwater and had to rely on the winds of the weather for her supply. As she reached for the cold pot, the sleeve of her shirt slid down her forearm. She froze, eyes widening. Just below her wrist was a small patch of discolored skin. It was almost perfectly circular, a spot of redness the size of an old coin. She tried to take a firm mental grip on the situation. What she'd noted when Coyote told her of the mark still held true. Rashes were common under conditions like these. She had no access to sanitizers, to bacterial soap. Really, it was a wonder she wasn't covered with fungal infections. But the notion that this was the mark, the sign that she'd been secretly tested, took hold of her nonetheless. Fear simmered in her gut. The testing left this mark, but it also caused... Gaps. And she had just come awake in the middle of the day. Did she remember falling asleep? No. She put water on to make herself some tea, then... Then... Christ, they came and made their initial test on her to see if she was a proper candidate for this unholy experiments at Oak Vista Pastures. It had actually happened to her. It was real. She looked around the loft. She had felt secure here, what with the rope being the only way up through the hole in the floor. But it hadn't stopped them. Lunging, she grabbed up her few portable possessions. They found her here once. She couldn't risk them coming back, especially if the testing had shown her to be a suitable medical subject. She didn't want to be turned into a monster. No, she didn't want that. As she plunged down the rope for the last time with the bundle of her things, some distant but distinct voice told her not to give in to the paranoia, to the general mood of frantic dread being reinforced by everyone she talked to lately. But the voice wasn't strong enough to break through her fear. She landed on her feet at the bottom of the rope and went scampering off through the decaying shell of the warehouse. She would find another squat. But first she wanted some more derms. To take the edge off this terror. When a second blotch of unhealthy redness appeared, this time on her shin, along with another gap in her memory, Fun decided to take the fight to the enemy. She would go to Oak Vista Pastures, on her own terms, sneak inside and take out whatever boogeyman ran the place. For that, she would need a gun. Her restlessness had turned into a state of twitchy, overwrought agitation. She'd started biting her nails. She scratched constantly at her scalp. Fear of abduction prevented her from sleeping. When she went to Tarantula for a weapon, the older woman eyed her dubiously. Fun told her what she wanted it for. I'll tell you, girly. You're not the only one who's had that idea. Her flesh prickled with impatience. Everyone says to go to you if they want a gun. Can you help me? Tarantula measured her with shrewd eyes. Depends. What have you got to trade? Fun had only one thing. And Tarantula, who... Fortunately, was indiscriminate in her sexual tastes. Obviously knew it. Fun submitted to the cobweb-haired woman. 
first slapping on a germ to lift her as far out of the moment as she could get. Then, with the transaction complete, Tarantula put the pistol in her hand. She told Fun where the bullets were stashed, in a hollow outside the building that was her squat. A smart security precaution, Fun thought, so that disgruntled buyers didn't just shoot her dead afterward. Fun herself felt a little more than rancor toward her. As she was leaving, the older woman called. Where do you think you'll find Oak Vista Pastures, girly? Fun had an answer, but she kept it to herself. She'd given Tarantula enough. With the pistol in her pocket, she stalked away. The decommissioned mental health facility stood on the no-man's land between the urban wilds and that part of the city which still, more or less, functioned as a municipal entity. Fun watched the ghostly brickwork structure until the sun had gone down. Nobody moved in or out of it. She chewed her fingernails, then raked the jagged points over her itchy scalp, scratching hard enough for her fingertips to come away bloody. She checked the bullets in her gun for the thousandth time. Finally, she moved on the eerie one-time nut house. It seemed so obvious. This must be Oak Vista Pastures, though the place had gone by a different name when it was still operating. She crept across the overgrown grounds, pistol in hand, Her senses hummed with the cracked crystal clarity of exhaustion, fear, and anticipation. No lights shone inside the structure, but that was just the cover, of course. The fireworks would be downstairs. Those subterranean levels would be a gleaming, sterile white, the corridors lined with cells from which issued constant, semi-human screams. Someone would be in charge, a chief surgeon, the supreme experimenter. He or she would run the torture palace according to some profane plan. Fun didn't know what they wanted the monsters for. She wasn't sure she cared. But she would bring an end to this terror. She went in through the busted-out window. The interior was still dark, but enough light came through the nearby functioning streetlights that she started to see the outlines of things. She moved silently into the corridor. Her toe caught something and kicked it ahead. It made a hollow, tinking sound. Her brain told her it was a spent shell casing, but really it could have been anything. She kept her weapon raised, ready, eager to use it. There seemed a sound just on the edge of her hearing, a low mechanical grumbling. She held still and strained to listen. She detected more of a vibration than actual sounds, something seeping up through the soles of her boots. Yes, the underground facility, just like she'd figured. Now she just needed a way down. She eased around the corner and froze once more. Straight ahead she saw a light. It took her a moment to sort out what it was. Then she saw it was an upward arrow indicating an elevator coming up. A growing mechanized clatter accompanied the sight. Her lips spread in a grin. She advanced, studied her aim, and waited. The doors opened with a ping. Someone stood inside the lit elevator car. She pulled her trigger, 
and kept firing, intoxicated by the aggressive noise, the muzzle flashes, the sense of power the gun gave her. But she didn't empty the weapon. She might need more bullets for down below. She squinted through the smoke of the discharges, nostrils flaring. The person was still standing in the elevator. Now it took a step forward on its own. Fun sucked in a tight breath and prepared to fire again. Tarantula gave you blanks, said a familiar voice. Everybody who says they're going to Oak Vista Pastures gets blanks. Not a problem for Tarantula because she knows they ain't coming back. Fun had been living in a state of fear for some time now, but this was some different order of disquiet. This was an unease that preceded the end of all things. Some tendril of abstract thought informed her. Her finger had gone numb on the trigger. She could still squeeze it, she imagined, but what was the point? These war blanks, otherwise Coyote would be dead. His bushy hair was trimmed and groomed. His ratty jacket was replaced with a clean tunic. He smiled. He looked very much like a suburban citizen, Fun thought. The kind of cookie-cutter automaton she had left behind when she'd become a neo-primitive. You'll come downstairs, Fun, Coyote continued. He still had the countrified cracker accent, but he spoke placidly now, as if he were sharing heartwarming news with her. This is Oak Vista Pastures, but there aren't no monsters here. Just people who'll give you the treatment you need. Procedures are perfected, they say. But rounding everybody up was too much trouble, maybe impossible. So they got us to come here on our own. It's the derms. They just added something to them. A, uh, paranoic. He pronounced this carefully. Agent, so that the Oak Vista stories would seem more and more real. They started those stories themselves. And we spread them, even adding the stuff about their ashes and memory gaps. Eventually, everybody figures out that this old mental hospital has to be the place, so they come. And here you are. Coyote had one part wrong, she decided, lowering her gun. There were monsters here. The monster was the idea itself, as diabolic a scheme as any under the sun. For the state to achieve total victory, it needed everyone's cooperation, everyone's loyalty. She had cooperated, unwittingly. Soon, like Coyote, she would be invested with loyalty after they used their perfected behavioral procedure on her. She dropped the pistol. She turned and started her sprint back down the corridor. But that was the easiest part of the trap. A pair of strapping able orderlies were waiting. They grabbed her, subdued her, and took her to the elevator. Coyote rode down with her, smiling, explaining how excited he was to be leaving for a nice, clean, responsible life. Hopefully, she would be in the proper condition to greet the next pistol-wielding, derm-addled adventure who stormed the Citadel. Eric Del Carlo has been selling his fiction for over two decades. His short stories have appeared in Asimov's, Strange Horizons, and many, many other venues. 
His novels, both solo and collaborative, have been published by Ace Books, Dark Star Books, Loose Id, and other houses. His latest book, The Golden Gate is Empty, written with his father, Vic Del Carlo, is available from White Cat Publishing. Eric is a native Californian and a Hurricane Katrina refugee. Find him on Facebook for comments and questions. Amy Weaver is an actress, writer, and voiceover artist working and living in Los Angeles.